This is the Six Figure Creative Podcast, episode 202. Welcome to the Six Figure Creative Podcast, where our mission is to help you turn your creative passions into a stable, reliable income. If you're in audio, video, design, photography, or really any other creative field, and you just want to learn from other successful creatives, you're in the right place. Welcome back to another episode of the Six Figure Creative Podcast. I am your host, Brian Hood, and I'm back with my substitute co-host, Mark Eckert. Hey, buddy. How are you? Hey, friend. How's it going, bud? Good. I can't help but notice that your mic sounds better. and You don't sound like an echoey piece of shit again. My AT4050, which is $700, is apparently making me a piece of shit. I did not mind it. You were being... Uh, I hated it. Dude, yeah, you were being really, really pretentious about the audio. Oh, yeah. I sent you the, I sent you the edited version and you're like, oh, God, that sounds like crap. Yeah, but it sounds way better to the audience if I look like the good guy and you're bullying me. Bully Brian. Bully Brian. Anyways, I got a SM7B, so now I'm adorable again, sounding. You're lucky that we don't have that, that gear alert, although maybe we'll be bringing it back. Easter egg. Anyways, so I went to Guitar Center this morning because I didn't want to show up again with Brian being pretentious about my mic. So I showed up to Guitar Center. Firstly, their hours have changed. What the fuck? It used to be like nine. Now it's 10. I showed up at 10. And, you know, you would expect they're open at 10. They're going to open the doors at 10. Not a guitar center here in North Charlotte. They decide to open it at like 10, 11. I had a consulting call like at 10, 15. So I had to push that back. I felt terrible. But anyways, it took me a half hour to check out. And I was the only customer. (laughs) There was nobody there. I was like, dude, I just want a mic and a headphone adapter. Took me a half hour, bro. Half hour. That sounds about right. And I'm looking up right now if what Guitar Center stock is doing. And it's fallen 12% the last month, 24% the last six months. And for good reason, because their buyer experience is awful. And honestly, like there's very few reasons to buy things physically anymore anyways, especially gear like that, where you're not testing it out ahead of time. Guitar Center, please sponsor this podcast and we will redo this intro. Uh, <laughs> no, we will, yeah, we will delete this whole intro if you pay us money. No, we won't. They reach out to me next week. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to push back on you, Brian. I had a great experience. <laughs> All of a sudden, like years from now, you're going to go back to this episode and it's going to be like this hard cut with completely different sound. So the other day at Guitar Center, this was an incredible experience. <laughs> I walked in and it was just, it was like I was in heaven. Just get a square reader. That's all I'm asking. Get like a square reader, dude. Anyways, I'm done. There wasn't 16 people playing Stairway to Heaven on all the guitar amps. <laughs> Let's talk about money and music today, dude. How about let's let's help let's help the the people out instead of talk about my terrible customer service experience this morning. Well, we're not going to talk about music. We're going to talk about relationships. So let's talk about <laughs> dating and money, right? So this is uh this is going to be a continuation of our client acquisition series. Last episode we did on the client acquisition series was episode 200, 200 where Mark walked you through like seven seven kind of checklist items to talk through on any sales call. And actually at the end of that call, you were going to a sales call, which was like a very, I'd call it like high ticket, like mini multiples of 10,000s of dollars worth of value. And how did that call go afterwards? Yeah. So it was for a licensing client uh, for that pitch. It was about a half a million dollars plus uh, a monthly amount. They'll be starting later this year and I landed it and I'm very excited. That, it's kind of cool because usually this is like 100 emails or like 200 emails, but they'd kind of been stalking us for a while and uh, had some had some people there that I knew and they were like, yeah, they're, they're the shit. We need to utilize everything about that pitch. I actually got the confirmation. 
at the end of the email, usually people are like, okay, cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll get back to you and uh, we'll continue the conversation. And they were, they literally said, we look forward to working with you. And I'm like, oh, did you go through those seven points from that whole? Absolutely. Every, every single thing. So if you want to hear how Mark closed a half a million dollar client, just go back to episode 200. That's actually a good t- episode 200. It's like a proven process on closing stuff. In the creative world, people are closing clients anywhere from $100 to fifty dollars to $100,000. I haven't heard anyone going to half a million, but you're the first on that. So great for that. So we're going to continue that whole conversation of client acquisition. And we're going to move kind of up the funnel. Bottom of funnel is sales. That was kind of like the last point before someone becomes a customer is that sales conversation. I guess follow-up after that would kind of be really the last point, but we're not going to cover that. We're going to move up a little bit and talk about the consideration phase. When someone is considering you for whatever it is you offer, for your service, for whatever outcome you're giving, when someone is considering you, what can you do to push that relationship forward? So many creatives make the mistake of just sitting passively on the sidelines, waiting for that person to come to them. And and it's a massive mistake. And it's just like this. It's like you go on a date with somebody, you have a really good connection, really good conversation, and then you just ghost them because you're waiting for them to come to you. And sometimes it's because you're, you're immature and you're playing mind games and you're like, I will never text first. And sometimes it's because like, you're just scared to, you don't want to bother somebody or whatever. And I, and I think this conversation is going to be really enlightening to creatives who have that sort of mentality where I don't want to bother people. So before this call started, uh, Mark, you were telling me like a, a percentage of people that are like, in passive mode, kind of waiting around that don't need the service. What percentage of people are actually considering right now? And what percentage of people are actually buying right now? Yeah. So I kind of my perspective on, on all of this is about 80% of people who know about you are just aware that you exist. 1% are actively ready to buy right now. And 19% are kind of eyeing you out, seeing if you're the one and your entire job for the most part is to kind of make that 19% into that 1% and then feed that 80% a little bit more awareness that you exist. So our goal here is to take that 19%, the people that are in consideration phase, and we're trying to move them closer to the desire phase, them actually wanting to work with you, actually making that decision to work with you. So let's, let's talk about this. We brainstormed before this episode a few different ways to do this, to make this actually work. But I think the, the, the whole theme is this, you're leading the buyer. You're not expecting them to take all these steps. You're actually leading them. And I think that's, that's the, the image I want people to have in their head is you're trying to guide someone to make a decision. If they are considering you right now, it's your duty to help them along that consideration phase by leading them. So Mark, real quick, what are some ways that we can help lead that conversation, lead that buyer to actually hire you? Well, I mean, just imagine that you're, you're dating somebody, right? So if you're dating someone and you're not in a relationship yet, but you've been you know, going out a little bit, uh, a thing that's really important is for them to know that you're the one, so to speak, is you show up, you stay consistent, you text them, hey, how was your day? Stuff like that. You just stay consistent and you show that you're worth something. <laughs> you know, um, it's not in like a weird way, but there's almost like a fear of missing out. They, if you come across desperate where you're constantly berating them of, hey, you know, like you're just kind of annoying, people can sense that. But if they know that you have a life outside of them, you have other stuff going on. There's a fear of missing out. And, you know, that's when they're like, hmm, there's a lot of value here. Maybe this is it. Think about it like this. Like when you're talking to someone new and maybe they, they're like interested in you, like they're, they're like, okay, this is maybe going to work. You can look at this either as a dating perspective or as a client perspective right now, like an actual freelancer, but they're, con- they're maybe considering you. What are some ways that you can show that you are worthy? So I'm not going to talk about the dating side of things, but you can kind of equate the same conversation here. Our messaging is so important as freelancers and we are so bad 
at portraying the value that we provide as freelancers through our website messaging, through what we post on social media. And this is actually something we're really cognizant of on this podcast. We have a whole framework that we talk about internally called EIEIO content. I don't know if I've explained this to you yet or Mark. Oh, you did. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah. This is the framework our editors use to determine what stays in the podcast and what gets cut out. And this is the framework most creatives need to have when it comes to posting any content online, because the stuff you post, either your personal profile or in emails you send out, if you are one of the few freelancers who actually have an email list or in, in your social media posts on your actual business page, people will stalk you. Actually, you just talked about that, Mark, how that client, that half million dollar client you closed, they were stalking you for a while before they ever pushed the conversation forward. Most clients have known about you for a year before they reach out. In my experience, even just from production, like freelancing, people know for like a year before they finally click apply or whatever the next step is. You probably need to do an EIEIO audit. So if, for anyone who doesn't know that old McDonald had a farm, EIEIO, easy to remember, but I'm going to go through that framework really quick because I want you to filter everything you, you post or anything you send your clients or anything that's public facing through this, because this is incredibly important. So the EIEI is the framework and the O is the filter. So E stands for entertaining. So like you want to be entertaining. You don't want to just be boring, dry and drab. You don't have to be like a complete lunatic like Mark. And he's like, off the wall entertaining, but like that's also his brand. But you can be entertaining in your own way, whether you're posting content that's entertaining to people, sharing stuff that's entertaining to your ideal clients. That's the first E. I is interesting. And that's kind of a subset of entertaining, but just being interesting to people, posting stuff that's interesting to your ideal clients. The second E is educational, which is just talking about if you were the expert at something, you're going to build trust. So if you're educating, you're building trust with people. And that helps so much with helping people feel comfortable hiring you. Because if you are not showing your expertise, then why would they hire you? So talking through some of the projects you've worked on, some of the things you've done, showing that you are the expert. Education is a huge part of that. And the final part of the content is the final I, and that is inspiring, being inspirational. If you can share content that's inspirational to your ideal client, that can help them move past roadblocks or things that are holding them back from hiring you or moving forward. So think about all of those things, right? Then we have to look at that through the lens of the O, which is being on brand. On our podcast, especially back when we were the six-figure creative, there were so many things we could have talked about that were just not on brand for the podcast that would have been entertaining or interesting. We could have talked about gear. We could have talked about plug-in settings. We could have talked about so many things that don't ultimately matter for running your recording studio business. So all of those things, although they fit in the EIEI part of the framework, they are filtered out because of the O. They're not on brand. So think through that when you're posting that long political rant that might be interesting it might be even entertaining, but it is so far off brand from your business that you're, all you're doing is repelling your ideal clients. And, and again, sometimes I'm, I'm for taking kind of a polarizing stance on something, but it has to be on brand for what you do and what you stand for. And it can't just be your opinions that are in no way related to your ideal client. I just, well, I have to bringing this back to dating, you know, entertaining, you're funny, right? Expertise, you have your shit together on brand, you're their type. You know, these are, it's all the same shit. Like there, there isn't really much. He's a nice Jewish boy. He's got a nice mother, got a nice father. He's well-traveled, makes a lot of money. Please date my son. For anyone new, Mark is Jewish. He's allowed to do that. I am absolutely allowed to mock my mother because I've been quoting her for now 28 years and uh, it's served me well. I just didn't want to get any messages from people saying like, this podcast, one star, this podcast is... <laughs> 
No, I, I don't think any uh, person who's not Jewish could do that great of an impression of a Jewish mother. But yeah, I think kind of going back, as I said, is whether it's like marketing or like a marketing funnel or it's being in a relationship, it's building trust and proving to somebody over a long period of time or enough time that they are a right fit and they're not taking a risk by being with you. You brought up using time. I think that's a, a, a good time to talk about um, using time as a tool. So many people are looking for instant results where we just want to post something on social media. We get a like, we get a follow, we get a message saying, hey, can I hire you? And it never works that way. Like we have to take a long-term approach. We have to use time as a tool. And I think Mark, you're really good at that, especially as you've moved into kind of enterprise sales where you're working with bigger and bigger corporations who it takes an incredibly frustrating amount of time and emails and back and forth and waiting just to close a client. Depending on what you do, what your sale price is, you know, the problem you're solving, the type of client, the type of market that you are targeting, and just an understanding of everybody involved, because you might not be talking directly to the buyer. They could have a partner, or if you're a wedding photographer, they have a husband or wife, you know? The thing is, is setting expectations what I've noticed, this has been really interesting, and I'll, I'll bring it back to specifically freelancing, but this call this past week, it was great. I, I did a, a great job and they were like, yeah, this is, this is for us, right? Now they've known about me for a while. I've also had calls with you know, large companies that need to get a bunch of music from us. And I got off the call and I thought I f***ed everything up. I was like, why did they not just say yes? Why did they like, why are they saying they'll get back to me? Like, did, did I say something wrong? Did I fuck it up? Usually it's not just me on the call. I have, you know, partner or somebody on it with me and I would call them and like, did I fuck it up? And they're like, no, these are all good signs. This is great. You handled it well. These are all good signs. And that was like a big perspective change. It's like, these are good signs. And so when I was just producing, it was a similar thing. A lot of times I was just talking to an artist I specialized in working with indie pop artists. Usually they were girls um, in a smaller city and they were great singers and they just needed a track and they were the decision maker. So a lot of times it would be an immediate yes on that call. But sometimes I would have to follow up and I thought I f***ed everything up. It's kind of like the less you are trying to get out of somebody, the more they trust you. And so a lot of times it could be a timing thing where they may not have budget or whatever, but a lot of times they're just not ready and there could be different reasons for that. A lot of sales processes will tell you you have to kind of like ask specific questions and get through all of their objections to make them pay you. I've never really been about that. If somebody's ready, they're ready. And if I haven't, if I haven't convinced them by the time they're on the call, then that is something that I need to do to better project to everybody how helpful I am. And part of it comes to how good you are at self-filtering. So you're not getting people who are not at the right, the right period. Cause like there's so many steps that the person has to take before they're even ready for you, for the service you offer that if you talk to them too soon, you're wasting both your time. And so some of it's just filtering people out the wrong step, but also keeping people top of mind, keeping you top of mind for that whole period is so important. And we probably need to talk about some systems behind staying top of mind during that period, but it's worth just considering depending on what your niche is, what has to fall into place? Like an example would be like, if you are a wedding photographer, there's a whole process of like wedding planning that it's until they're ready to even talk about the wedding photographer, they're not even a consideration. There's a whole process. If you're like a mastering engineer is a good example. And in, in audio, you have to have the song written, recorded, edited, and mixed before you're ever ready for mastering. 
just understanding, like remove your ego from the project and realize that you are a stepping stone in their success. A lot of times as a freelancer, you are just one part of the puzzle that they are solving. Again, we just both come from music, so I'll bring it back. If you know you're producing artists, a lot of them need help with PR and marketing. So you could offer some stuff for that if you're good at it. But that would be their next step, maybe. If you're a photographer, maybe they, they want somebody to make a really, really awesome film from the wedding, or you know they want some location spots or whatever. Those are other things you can do. But just understanding that you're one piece, and a lot of times you're just in an ingredient to the awesome meal that they are making, you got to let it cook, baby. They got to get all the ingredients, and that is okay. So just stay top of mind and make sure that you keep showing up. You keep taking them out to coffee. You keep checking up and texting, how are you doing? Hey, here's something I found that I think could be really helpful for you. Anyways, hope you're having a great day. As long as you just keep top of mind, people will reach back out. And there's two different top of mind methods that I, I want to talk about. A manual method, more when you are working at a lower volume at a higher price, where like, Mark, you're not going to send like email marketing stuff to this person you just had a sales call with for a half a million dollar project. You're not going to send automated emails for that. You're going to manually follow up with that throughout the next few months until they have given you their hard earned dollars and you are, they're officially one of your clients. I'm assuming, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you have them on a mailing list as well. No, they'd kill me. Yeah, of course. <laughs> they all have private emails, dude. Like they don't, they don't want to be bothered. You're on the extreme side of like very high ticket, very low volume in enterprise sales. But some, some freelancers are like, they're doing 100, 200, 300, 400, maybe $500 projects. And they're just churning those things out quickly. Headshots are those types of things. And doing mastering is actually that same kind of business model in music. Every freelance industry has that. So like logo design can be that in some industries as well. And in that instance, you have to have automated systems for follow-up or else you're just going to fall on your ass and either forget or ruin your life trying to manually follow up with that many leads and, and potential clients. Kind of to break down a little bit of that. So you had a good buddy of mine on here, Daniel Cunningham. What episode was that? Episode 176, how to use email marketing to land corporate clients as a photographer. That was back in November 30th. Wow. November 30th of 2021. So Daniel is a commercial photographer um, and he specializes in a lot of doing corporate work a lot, but he also has a lot of individual clients as well. And he has a thriving email list. And it's kind of funny. He just kind of reminds people what he's up to and he gives them a little bit of advice sometimes through his email. And it could be as simple as that is you're just kind of tapping people on the shoulder here and there saying, I'm still here. You know, the worst thing you can do with an email list is not use it. This goes for followers on Instagram too. I think a lot of people are arguing Facebook's dying, you know, TikTok's exploding, all this stuff. At the end of the day, if you have somebody's email, no matter where they end up on the internet, you can say hello. Now, with that said, there's a lot more friction for somebody to get on your email list, right? If somebody follows you on Instagram, they're giving you a little, you know, a little love tap. Hey, I like what you're doing. And so you even just posting that you're active, you know, if you're a photographer and let's say they're not on your email list, let's say you don't have any direct contact, but you, you know, somehow had a conversation or whatever, just showing that you're active and you're working on other projects. It's kind of like one of those things where if you're dating, it's like showing somebody you're not desperate. It's like, hey, I got hobbies outside of you. I play disc golf. I love croquet. I don't need you. And they're like, oh my God, I fucking love you. It's showing, it's showing that like you don't need them. And that makes you higher value. Other people are stating that you're worth something. 
Yeah. And if you don't have things to post, it's time to check yourself. And like, this was the come to Jesus moment I had in 2011 when I was like living in Alabama, sad and alone. I was like, this is the thing I actually did. I was like listing out all the things I would want to have in an ideal companion. And then I looked at those things and said, am I the person who would, that this person would be attracted to? And the answer was absolutely no. I am not the person that 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 person wanted to be with. And so like I had to change a lot about myself. And that's when I got into a fitness journey. That's when I got into self-improvement journey. That's when I moved to Nashville from butthole, Alabama, probably not a real place. And I started, I started the journey of making myself a better person. Something that was more interesting, more, more educated, more inspired, you know, like someone worth that has value to add to somebody. And it's the same in your business. You have to take that step, take that journey on being a more valuable, more interesting, more inspiring person to be around. Yeah. And like, you'll see this kind of with everybody who's worth a over a long period of time is, you know, everybody has a different, for me, for example, I had to come to Moses moment. Anyway, (laughs) I'm so so sorry. I had to, anyways, I had a similar thing. I was down on my luck, went through a terrible breakup. I was broke living with my parents. And I was like, you know, I, this is the kind of life that I want business. I kind of want success in music that I, that I want relationship that I want. These are all the things that these people would want out of me. I am eating a bunch of bullshit food. I don't work out. I'm sitting on the couch and crying every day. All right. I should, I should pick up some books, find some people I look up to and start getting my together. It's the same thing in your business. So the reason we're talking about this and the reason this is so important is because those numbers you said earlier in this episode, Mark, it was like 19% of people are in consideration phase. That means that like 80% of people are not even considering to work with you right now which means like if you have a thousand followers, that means 800 of those people are not interested or doesn't care about what you're offering. If you have a thousand people on your email list, 800 of them are not even remotely ready for the service that you have to offer. So staying top of mind is the way you turn that whole list of 800 people or 800 followers, you stay top of mind until they become that 20% that gets into consideration. And maybe they become one of the 1% that actually hire you. Email list is a huge part of that for me. Email list is a huge part of that for one of your businesses or maybe a couple of them, but social media is also another place. And I, this is the area I sadly neglect, I think, because I don't think it's totally necessary, but for some people, social media is your only way of staying top of mind, one to many. For me, all of it is very, very important. Here's the thing is like, there's 80-20 rules, you know, stuff like that. And I understand that. I understand, you know, the entire concept. The fact of the matter is, is I have different types of people that we work with. You know, for that pitch, it's producers. Where are they? They're on Instagram. I have people that are clients of that pitch that license music. Where are they? They're on LinkedIn or email and I get an invite through a Zoom call and then they give me their WhatsApp. You know, the whole thing is that, in my opinion, if you don't meet your ideal client where they want to be met at, don't expect them to show up where you want to show up. At the end of the day, let them decide where they want to get coffee. Don't say, hey, I want you to drive a half hour to come to me. It's like, no, I'll make it so easy for you. Don't even worry about it. You know, just walk out wherever the closest place that has coffee, I'll show up. Don't even worry about it. And I think that's the main thing is like, that's why social media is really important to us. Um, it's why email is really important to us. It's why spending literally five hours on a very thorough email back to somebody stating all of their things that they had questions about and proofreading it and sending it off to people that I look up to and say, hey, is this appropriate? It's because no matter who you're working with, respect the shit out of them. It all comes down to respect for me is like, if somebody's going to give me a dollar, the amount of trust they have put into me, holy shit. 
I'm not going to break that trust. Like that means everything to me. So what's a good, what's a good frequency or cadence for staying top of mind? Because so many people are like, I don't want to bother them. I don't want to be a nuisance. Yeah. it, It depends. Like, what are you sending them? I think if it's quality stuff that helps them and is helpful, you can send as much as you want. Yeah. Someone sent me um, something to look over. He was asking about like a follow, how to follow up with a, with a client of his or a potential client of his. And I saw the initial email he sent out to that person and was like, oh, I cringed because it was so much like me, 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 so much take, take, take and no give. I'm like, there is no way to follow up to that. There's no way to follow up when you're being something that's not a go-giver. I kind of want to break this down because there's two things. If it's not helping them, don't even f-ing bother. I can't just say, hey, just checking in. F- that. Nobody owes you shit and like stop saying you're checking in. It's creepy. It's like texting at 3 a.m. And it's like, why didn't you text me back today? Oh, God. I saw that you read that. Why didn't you reply? <laughs> yeah, don't don't be the double texter. Well, ah, I've double emailed, but it's because like they they told me they prefaced that they had like a bunch of shit going on in a month and a half and they just like barely got back to me. That's fine. But yeah, I think another thing is this is something that I've I, so I go to therapy every single week. I think, honestly, if you're in business for yourself, I think you should be able to talk to somebody. Wow, dude, you're so weak that you have to go to therapy. My gosh. Let's cancel, Brian. Nope. <laughs> That's the mindset that people have that need therapy the most that we should be talking about that for sure. So I'm, I'm glad that you are open about that. I've gone to therapy since high school, bro. Like I just consider it. It's just armor. That's how I look at it. It's armor for whatever the hell is going on in life. Anyways, he has always kind of helped me on understanding that a lot of the stuff that I might be concerned about are generally kind of just like delusions. Like it's like you're just worrying to worry because you've had crazy times in the industry before. And yeah, there were times early, early on in your career where you were really worried about rent. You could catastrophize of like, oh my God, if I can't pay my rent, like what, you know, we both had like experiences like holy moments. I think that's kind of required in a way if you're going to be full-time self-employed. Everybody's going to have, for the most part, a holy moment. If you experience that and you see, you know, little signs that may have related as a similarity, you might be like, oh my God, maybe this is, this is going to fuck everything up. And then I kind of just have to be reminded this is not an issue. So if you're overthinking following up with somebody and just asking how they're doing or whatever, a lot of times if you're scared about it, it's kind of like a delusion. You're probably not annoying. Yeah, you're projecting. You're projecting your your insecurities on that other person who probably hasn't thought twice of you, if I'm being honest, which is kind of a scary thought. It's like, it goes back to that Grant Cardone quote where it's like, I'd rather be annoying than absolutely unknown. The underlying thing that's been really helpful for me is in a way, it's kind of selfish if you don't reach out. Money is just an exchange of value. So by you getting paid for something, it means you're helping somebody. So if they have reached out and they have said they may or may not need your help and you from your insecurities are not reaching out to them, you are doing them an injustice because you could really help them. So for me posting on Instagram, I post every single day. I've been doing it for about a month now and it's been really awesome. I'm just showing up, right? Taking everyone out to coffee every single day. That's how I view it. Well, 99% of people love the coffee. It's great. And then one person is like, I f-ing hate coffee. I'm only a tea guy. Heathen, absolute heathen, terrible human being. Right. Not everybody likes coffee. We don't like them either. It's fine. But the idea that I always have, as long as one person likes it, as long as one person got value from this, 
I have done my job. I have helped somebody today because I'm not posting about look at all the things I've accomplished, but I just post advice. That's it. And things that I've learned and I, I hope it helps you too. That's it. Just come from a place of you're helping and you're not trying to get something. Yeah. And I think the reason you can do that and the reason you are doing that is you are going back to using time as a tool. You are staying top of mind, adding value, little chunks at a time, and it won't be for everybody. But as long as a few people at a time gain value from you, eventually you hit them at the right time where they're ready to actually hire you or pay you or join your thing or book a sales call or whatever it is that you want from them. I forgot where I heard this, but it was really good. It's Healthy businesses harvest from the seeds they plant. Healthy businesses never hunt. You should never be hunting. You should only be harvesting. You should never be hunting. If you ever find yourself hunting, there is a genuine problem with your business. And I get it. It's, it just seems more straightforward and easy to just say like, I want a client right now. So I'm going to go out and I'm going to send 50 cold emails and I'm going to bother 50, 50 poor people to, to, to pay me their hard earned dollars. And then if I send 50 emails and 10 reply to me and five get on a call, I'm going to close two of them. Like they think that's how it's going to be. And it, in some cases it can be that, that case. When Anthony Crapperata on episode 152, he talked about cold emailing as his main strategy and he's, he's crushing it. But in most cases, you're not Anthony Crapperata. Yes, but I would actually like to push back on that because you have to look at the size of your market. So if you are doing cold outreach for an immediate sale in the accounting industry, there are millions and millions and millions and millions of accountants, okay? If you're in the music industry, it's much smaller and everybody knows each other. So you have a window, in my opinion, of how many people you can make a first impression on in a given time period for people to not put your name around. So the thing is, is that the smaller and more interconnected networked the industry is, in my opinion, the more tasteful you should be about it for cold outreach. Well, also Anthony's in a bluer market, like in a bluer ocean, meaning like it's, it's a lot less crowded. It's a lot less bloody. It's not a red ocean yet. And so he can simply let people know that he exists and his offer exists and it's enough for them to say, Oh, I'm interested in that. That might be, that might be cool and reply and start a conversation with him. So I guess you could, you could kind of say it's almost like a hybrid of planting seeds and, and hunting, but as creatives, like most people are in a pretty competitive industry and they're competing with a lot of different people. So the way to stand out is like, don't worry about going for the immediate kill. Instead, put crops down and nurture them over a long period of time, water them, care for them, prune them sometimes. And then only when it's time, harvest the, the fruit, don't kill the plant. This is kind of, we, I'm not going to get too off subject, but I, I think this is just like a good mental model that I've always had within my career is invest in things. Don't be a speculator. And so I know that's a really theoretical, so I'll bring it down. So we're going to talk about our, your Bitcoin mining rig now or what? Bitcoin. Anybody reach out to me, I will argue you to the death. It's dumb. Anyways, um, but I'm glad you're anti uh, crypto as well. That's fine. Uh, We're going to have more hate from that single comment than all hate from the last three years of this podcast combined. Please DM me. I would relish in your hate. Please. It's dumb. But the thing is, is that honestly, investing is pretty boring. You want it to be boring. It should not be this hype thing. Value giving is pretty boring, right? I want an oil change. I go to a place that gives me an oil change. I will have a car years from now. They will continue to give me an oil change. Maybe it's not a good idea because things are going to electric. So maybe I'll think about electric. But these are all boring things. But they're explainable, right? People will continue to sleep. So mattresses are good. Just things that people use. The reason I kind of bring this up is you, 
like you yourself are going to be the best investment that you have over a long period of time. You are an asset that gives value. If you trick people into thinking that you are a Bitcoin of I'm going to put in a dollar and I'm going to make a shitload back and I'm going to be set forever and you can't deliver, now you are that person. But if you are a boring ass grocery store, everybody's going to continue to buy food. People are not going to find you crazy sexy, but they know that you're reliable and they will show up day and day to get their groceries. So what you want to do is that any leads that you have, anybody you are introducing yourself to, just make sure that it's just very no bullshit. It's good quality stuff long term. Don't try to pressure somebody into a big sale just for it not to work out. You want repeat clients over a long period of time, not a single client that pays you a shitload of money. Yeah. And that's, that's the approach I feel like most people can resonate with because I'm not sure if I followed all the analogies you gave there, <laughs> if I'm being honest. I'm sure one or two of you did and everybody could follow with Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. I get the gist of it, but I like the idea of boring. And, and some people like push back against that, but boring is sexy, man. Like if you have something that is boring, that means you have stability in your life. <laughs> Again, I'm not telling everyone to, to be boring, but I like the idea of boredom because that means you are doing something consistent. You're showing up. And honestly, like relationships can be boring sometimes because there's consistency, but you're showing up every day. You're doing what you're supposed to do. You're doing your chores. You're doing the small things for the person that you love and care for over a long period of time, because that's what relationships do. And there's exciting moments and it leads to fulfillment. And there's a lot of good things that come from that. And we, if we take that to our relationships as freelancers, if we take that to our clients and we look at the, over the horizon, the long period of time, instead of just the here and now, we're going to be so much healthier because we'll have a bountiful harvest way down the line. And just think about that. Use time as a tool. It is a tool. If you look at things for the long term, you're going to be so much better off. I hope I'm proved wrong with Bitcoin. Just so you know, because I'm still on that. I really hope I'm proved wrong. I just know I won't be. Anyways, that, that's it. That's my final words. On it. You know, what's funny is um, anytime we record an episode of this podcast, when it finishes, we have an automation in our Slack channel for podcast edits that the automation says, a new podcast has been recorded. Check, click up. By the way, Bitcoin will crash in 2022. That's been there since like the end of 2021. That was my prediction. And it has actually somewhat happened. I don't know how low it'll go. I actually just saw something from Warren Buffett. He said, the only way for me to make money on Bitcoin is if I sell it back to you. It doesn't do anything. And Charlie Munger was like, yeah, it's literally a scam. I respect the shit out of both of them. And I think everybody should. You know, what's funny is it reminds me, it reminds me of the dot-com bubble when everyone was in, in just dumping money into dot-com companies. If you have the word dot-com after your name, you were like worth a hundred times more than any other company. And it was just ridiculous. And Warren Buffett never jumped on that train. He never invested in dot-com companies back then. And people were like, has Warren Buffett lost his touch? Is he just an out of touch old man? I feel like it's the exact same scenario around Bitcoin. It's like, Obviously, there are dot-com companies today, but it just looks so much different than they did back in 2000. The thing is, I'm not talking like the idea of blockchain. There is some value there, right? Like my buddy has a company called BeatDap and they audit uh, Spotify and DSPs in real time for labels and they use blockchain to do that. Basically, they just see how much labels are getting by streaming platforms and then they report it and then they get money for them. You can't do that without blockchain. So that's really cool. I don't really know of another use case where this is useful. <laughs> I mean, there are like, I've seen there's, there's like blockchains for real estate. There's all, there's like, I'm not knocking the technology. I'm just knocking the hype around crypto. Yeah. I think as soon as somebody's mom starts investing in blockchain, 
I think this has gone too far. No offense to moms. Love moms. It's funny, like back when the Bitcoin craze happened where it hit 17,000 or 20,000 the first time, like in 2017, everyone was talking about it. Every neckbeard on my Facebook newsfeed was talking about it or, or, or Instagram. And I stayed so far away from it. And then when it crashed to like 3000, no one was talking about it. That's when I actually bought some up and it's like 10 X since I bought it. <laughs> there you go. And that's our Bitcoin after sowed, right? I like that term after sowed. <laughs> it's the, now here's, here's the final question. How low will it go? I don't know. Eventually, eventually zero. Well, maybe five, five K maybe. But like, I think it's at some point. What about the, what about the whole argument that the U S dollar is backed by basically nothing anyways. So it's all fiat currency. And then they can also create it whenever they want. With Bitcoin, you, at least you can't create that whenever you want. Okay, so can I explain NFTs? It's based on that argument. We've had an episode about NFTs, yeah. Yeah, so the thing is, I'm in copyright and publishing like that, that industry. 190-something countries understand copyright and publishing. NFTs, the idea is that you can prove that something was owned by somebody. Well, that's great. But the amount of friction that any country would have to have to adapt using an NFT as jurisdiction for ownership and original idea as opposed to copyright. I mean, you're basically saying that patents for pharmaceuticals, it has to have an NFT. All I'm going to say is like, rip your inbox. Like so many people "Mm, actually mark the reality at like, you're going to have so many actually hit you up about this and it's going to be fun. So Good luck with that. You can also delete part of this. I don't care. No, I'm not deleting any of it. This is just going to be thrown at the end of the episode and people can argue with you. I would love to be proven wrong. And I'm all about people making more money from music, from graphic design, from everything. Like I'm all about that. I just, I don't see NFTs in this iteration being the play. I think it's going to be a future thing potentially, but I think Web3 is just going to be gaming, porn, casinos. That's going to be it. And fintech. I think people are going to take off their goggles and realize, oh my God, I need to eat. And oh my God, I want to be in a real relationship. I think people should invest in my, uh, my ICO. <laughs> Let me explain how it's going to work. Really? Here's how it works. You can't, you can't lose that money. You invest into my, <laughs> my coin. It's, I don't know what it's going to be called yet. Hoodcoin. Hoodcoin. I'll pay out 10% a year for the rest of your life until I stop getting people to pay me. Mo- it's, a, it's a pyramid scheme. It's a Ponzi scheme. It's a Ponzi scheme. That's what I'm creating for you guys. Wait a second. It's a Ponzi scheme? No, 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 no. Hood coin, hood coin. Get it today. Coins are a Ponzi scheme? No way. You're telling me that people get paid from the people that are investing into it and it doesn't provide any value to anybody? Wait a second. I'm going to get so much hate for that. <laughs> I'm literally going to be cut as co-host. <laughs> <laughs> James is going to say, get the f*** out of here. Get rid of that guy. James is big into crypto. It's it's going to, like, it's not happening. I'm just f***ing with you. He's not. He's, a, he's, he's big into airplanes and pilots. Airplanes are dope. People will continue to fly places. Fly places.